0: the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show for America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this February 2013 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on historical photography. And I've got some great tips, tools, products, and websites for you that will come in very handy with your genealogy research. Now normally, our first stop would be the Genealogy Insider blog with managing editor Diane Haddad. However, Diana's still home enjoying her brand new baby daughter, so she won't be joining us this month. So we will jump right into our top tips segment with photo expert and author Maureen Taylor. She's also known as the photo detective. Maureen is the author of the book Family Photo Detective, and she'll be sharing some tips from the book to help you identify and gain clues from those old photos in your family's collection. And then in our 101 Best Website segment, I'll be chatting with Joe Bott. He's the founder of the free website DeadFred.com, which revolves around historical photography. Then in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Family Tree Magazine online editor Tyler Moss will be back to tell us about the Picture Your Family History Power Course and to give us some tips from that class that will come in very handy. And finally, we'll check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. She's the publisher of Family Tree Magazine, and she'll be giving us the inside scoop on what's going on over there. So there's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is Top Tips with the photo detective, Maureen Taylor. Family photos capture some of the most meaningful moments in life. Weddings, babies, graduations, military service, and holidays. Your old family photos are full of important family history clues. Maureen Taylor's book called Family Photo Detective helps you identify and research these clues that can further your genealogy research. Maureen is a photo identification expert and the author of Family Tree Magazine's photo detective blog and magazine column, and the perfect guest choice for this episode devoted to historical photography. Welcome back to the show, Maureen. Hi, Lisa.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You know, one of the things we probably noticed first in our own collections of old photographs is that there are several different types, right? There's uh, different types of styles and papers. When did photography first begin? And what was the progression of these different styles? Types of photographs that we come across that might kind of give us a clue as to the date of the photograph?
1: Oh, you know, I think that photography in the 19th century is just endlessly fascinating and fun because of all those different types of photographs. So you have a process developed in France by a man by the name of Louis Daguerre. And it is introduced here in America in 1839. And then in England, uh, William Fox Talbot is working on paper prints, but the daguerreotype really takes over here in this country and is the dominant and the only real commercially successful um, photographic method until the mid 1850s. When then there is the amber type, which is on glass, a daguerreotype is on a silver plate and the image just sits on the surface of the plate. And it's one of a kind. And then the amber type uh, is invented in eight, patented in 1854, and it's on glass and backed with a dark uh, substance, like a varnish, so that it looks positive. And then there are the really inexpensive tintypes from 1856 on, and tintypes remain popular into the 20th century, so the daguerreotype becomes less popular when the amber type and the tintype are around. And then paper prints are really introduced here in about 1858, 59. So when you and I are over in England at Who Do You Think You Are, I often see really early paper prints and fewer daguerreotypes because they weren't so popular in England as they were here. And so if you were a person, your ancestor goes to the photo studio in 1860. And the photo studios often specialized in what type of photographs they did. But say you had a studio that did them all. They could pick whether they wanted a beautiful, shiny daguerreotype on a silver plate in a beautiful case or an amber type on glass, also in a beautiful case, or an inexpensive tintype or those little carte de visite photographs that are two and a half by four inches, which are about the size of a 19th century visiting card. And they could choose whatever method they wanted. And they varied in price. Um, The way I explain the pricing of them is at the beginning of the civil war, you could pose for a daguerreotype for 25 cents or a dollar. But at the end of the Civil War, because there was, um, you know, some economic issues happening after the Civil War, you could pose for a photograph for 10 cents.
0: Amazing, amazing the differences. And so what you're really, what I'm kind of thinking as you're talking is, it could be tempting to see a daguerreotype and, and think, oh, well, that means it's this date. And you always tend to think of the earliest date. But we really have to keep in mind that as time progressed, Uh, for a while there's there's overlap. So that really helps us in that, that dating. When you say the the carte de vista, the the CDV, they call them, is that what you mean by paper? Yeah. Okay, great. And these are like on a a cardstock type of thing.
1: Yeah, thin cardstock.
0: So in the book, you say that um, while the type of of photograph may place a photograph in a time period, the internal clues can narrow it down to a specific date. What are some of the internal clues that we should be looking for? And can you give us maybe an example of how that might nail down the date of a photograph for us? Oh,
1: there's so many things to look at. Yeah. (laughs) When I look at a photograph, my eye is often drawn to one or two things immediately that I see that sort of stand out in the image. So obviously, what type of picture it is. But also, you know, what they're wearing is very important, although, again, not 100%. So when you think about, oh, clothing styles coming back into fashion, like, what's the fashion today? Everybody's got the little peplums around their waist, nothing new.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: When you think about the sort of color blocking styles that are available now where you get the the main part of the dress, one color, but the sides are another. That's, you know, from the 1960s. <laughs> so the same thing is true with clothing in the 19th century. So there are influences from earlier periods that then come back. And so you have to take into consideration how old someone is. Are they wearing older styles? Cause that's what they're comfortable wearing. Do all the clues add up the clothing, the type of photograph where it was taken. And of course I can't do my uh, photo detective work without family history. So who might be in that picture becomes an accumulation of all the facts, including who took the picture. Is it an amateur photograph taken by someone at home? Or is it a professional studio photographer who took the picture?
0: Right. You're really talking context, the whole context. It, no, nobody's in a vacuum, right? It's we need to look at the whole picture.
1: Right. So you have really large women's sleeves in the 1830s, but you could have a woman photographed in the 1840s wearing those great big giant sleeves. But then those big giant sleeves come back in the 1890s, but they're not going to be in a a woman in a daguerreotype.
0: Ah, exactly.
1: Series of checks and balances.
0: Right. Well, in this family photo detective book, you show your readers how to put names to the faces that gaze back at them in these old photographs. And you kind of guide them through how to recapture the lost stories of those old photos. And one of those avenues, and you were just talking about it, of course, it's always fascinating me, is the photographers themselves. Tell us about uh, the photographer's imprint that we see on our photos and what the, we might learn from that.
1: Oh, you know, I think in a past life, I was probably a studio photographer. <laughs> <laughs> the photo studios are it can help you establish a time frame for the picture so you use the gene i I tell people to research those photographers like they're members of your own family so you use all of their genealogy information the sources you know all of the different record groups that you use to come up with a time frame for when those photographers were in business now you have to look at street address but the the style of the imprints change over time mm-hmm. so that in the 1860s, you get that sort of uh, German-looking Gothic typeface right? Um, with sometimes just a name and sometimes a name in a city. By the 1870s, they're more elaborate with decorations on the back and a name on the bottom. And so the style of the imprint can actually help you figure out uh, some additional information about the photograph and place it in a time frame as well.
0: Do you have any um, resources? I mean, do you list in the book some of the places where we can go to, ch- to try to figure out, you know, either where somebody was located or, or do you give a time frame of those styles so we can kind of follow along? I do
1: not because there are many, many different styles. Uh, uh, But, you know, I, the best thing you can do is to use city directories and census records. And I use Ancestry.com's Family Trees, even to figure out when some of these people were in business.
0: Oh, so fantastic. So we're still using our same genealogical skills, but we're just tracking somebody who we're not related to, but they are a key player in the whole picture.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things I do in the Family Photo Detective, which is different Um, from the old edition is I spend a whole chapter uh, taking apart, not literally, but in information wise, a photo album that I bought in an antique shop.
0: Oh, neat.
1: So I get to follow
0: follow along with with you.
1: (laughs) Yes, So I was able to figure out not only who put the album together, but how uh, many of the people in the album were related
0: interesting see was so really fun yeah absolutely well the whole I, I, photographs boy that's one of the the big uh, fun parts of our research and certainly if you must have some in your own collection if you do and you want to learn more about how to identify them and and see what clues they can bring to your family history research check out Maureen's book it's the family photo detective and of course you continue to write the blog do you not
1: I do. I continue to write the photo detective blog every Monday. I'm at my computer picking out a photograph and writing about it. That's for Family Tree Magazine. But I also have a free e-newsletter if anyone's interested. And you can sign up for that either through my Facebook page, my Twitter page, or through my website, which is MaureenTaylor.com.
0: Fantastic. Oh, it's always so fun to talk to you. I will look forward to seeing you in uh, London at Who Do You Think You Are Next Month. See you soon, Lisa. When a genealogist thinks about historical photography, typically one of the first websites to come to mind is deadfred.com. It's a catchy name for a site that catches the hopes of those who hope to identify unknown photographs or to be reunited with old photos from their families that maybe went astray. Well, I'm happy to say that Joe Bott, the founder of Dead Fred, is joining us on this episode devoted to historical photography. Welcome back to the show, Joe.
2: Well, my pleasure to be back.
0: Oh, it's Such always a, fun to talk to you.
2: I'm looking forward to this conversation.
0: Awesome. Well, in case there happens to be anybody out there listening who hasn't already visited the Dead Fred website, give everybody a quick overview of what the genealogist can accomplish there at the website.
2: Just about everything you could ever want to accomplish when it comes to photographs especially genealogy photographs, anything – I mean, that's, that's pretty fat-headed of me to say that. I'm just joking around. But, oh, I think you can do uh, it. Oh, thank you. Um, well, what, what can a genealogist do? Well, you go there, com, and uh, it's very simple. You use, there's five different ways you can search, um, and then those, you take those five different ways. You can do a quick search, just a real fast surname search. You can go by alphabet. You know how the traditional alphabet search goes. And there's a detail component to it where you can go in and put a, a photographer's name. Say you have a photo of your grandmother with four of her friends, and there's a photographer's name on the back. But you don't have any idea who these people are besides your grandma. And so you go in there, and you can search by photography. And hopefully that will be another avenue, another way of going in and finding finding uh, those mysteries that are inside that photograph. There's also a mystery section that so you can go in and. Search by first name or all the components of trying to figure out where a person is. State, town, county, country. Um, And go keyword search. You can look for specific terms, like maybe a town that's written into the comment session, but it's somehow not put into the uh, database. You can search that way. So what it is, is you go there and you look for people that you'd like to be reunited with. You know, it's great to have all the data, have all the deeds, have the birth certificates and the the military information and the marriage information. But, boy, it's a special thing when you can put a face to it. And we've been able to reunite. And I say we, it's myself, Amanda, who does the database, Amanda Scherzer. And Jeanette Valiers, who takes care of all the uh, the writing. She's uh, she's our poet. She's our uh, scribe. So there's three of us that work on it. But Amanda has three kids, and she's up to her ears. And Jeanette is also a very popular lady with with a business that is thriving, just like that. Fred so she's busy. She says we're all busy doing different things. But back to the point, we operate this thing daily. You know, it's uh it's just for you to go find your your relatives, you know, and then also to share your relatives or your relatives' friends or your ancestors' friends. And to uh to reunite everybody that you possibly can with their ancestors or with their family. And we've been successful. We've so far have uh, just about two thousand five hundred reunions. My website's not up to date on that. And these works. are, these are
0: old photographs that either your visitors have uploaded. I know you have an extensive collection of old photos that you've collected over yes. the years. So wherever these photos kind of surface from with whatever information happens to be known about them, that all gets uploaded so that you, all that searching you're talking about is really combing through that. Sometimes just looking at faces and saying, yes. ah, I recognize that one. Now that's, and you can kind of reunite it back into the family.
2: That's right. And it's an exciting time i have i keep every email that's come to me from somebody who's found a relative and i have i have these files and and I go back and i and i read them it it's really makes me feel great uh, oh, yeah. I get, it's it's a great feeling and and I keep in contact with these folks. They keep in contact with me. I've met a lot of nice people through this website. Well, and
0: I've had you on my Genealogy Gems podcast, and I think we even talked with one of the, the people who had found an ancestor through the yeah. website. I mean, it's amazing. And you were talking about those five ways that you search the deadfred.com website. And I think mm-hmm. that it sounds so simple, and yet... I know how I get. You go to the site, you start looking up some surnames, and pretty soon you kind of get all wrapped up in searching for surnames. And you start to forget that there's, you know, at least four other ways. And you talked about searching the photographer name that's on the back of the card. And also, I think, places. Don't you think that's key is when you're looking at places? Because that's the kind of info that is on the back of a lot of these photographs.
2: You would hope so. And and yes, you're right. There is a lot of information on the back, and that's anything that's written down in there on that photograph, and you put it into the database and there's a place to put it in there. Put it in there. Because it's a word that somebody can use along the way that they can use that as a piece of information in order to try and connect the photograph with the person. I think somewhere around seven thousand photographers that are that are listed. Exactly. In the database.
0: And, and they're and listing going. their name as well as usually often the city where they're located. Right. Yeah. Uh,
2: there's also a place where you can post your photos. You click on, uh, there's a lady on the front page, mm-hmm. and, and that is Amanda's mother. She died several years ago, and Amanda put her face there for posting your photos. because She's found some relatives through that Surprisingly enough, so that's kind of nice thing that she's done there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, and
2: the site uh, yes, is
0: absolutely free, correct? So, yes, it is. Can it is. Well, if website. you want to
2: spend some money, we're absolutely here for you.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> you know, the, the bulk of what we make, uh, we, we don't charge. It's, it's free, and if you want some bells and whistles, we have some, we have a, we have a, what we call friends of Fred, and you can click on that, and for about twenty bucks a, month, a year. Uh, you can get some uh, organization for uh, if you decide to stick around and become part of the community. Uh-huh. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's it's go ahead, go ahead and use it and post your photos, and find your photos, and that's what it's about. You well, know, a lot sure. of
0: people don't realize too when we come to um, a free website like Dead Fred. If you see advertisements and things, and it maybe it's something that's intriguing you. Our first inclination is, oh, I don't click on ads. But the thing is, if you do, do it on a site like Dead Fred, where you're actually then supporting the website. That's how you do it. So that's That's right. Don't steer away from those. If you see something that interests you, then that's another way that they can kind of contribute. Make sure you are around for a long time because this is an amazing
2: service. Uh, I can't agree with you more. (laughs) You know, that's that's right. You know, on the left hand side of the page, you'll see the Google ads. Mm-hmm. Every time somebody clicks on on a Google ad, I'll get maybe three to five cents. Sometimes a little bit more, depending on what the market bears. And uh, at the end of the month, they send me a check, and that helps keep us going. Right now, through donations and through uh, Google ads, and we had a book, and we still do, and that helps. We sell it out on occasion, uh, that helps keep Dead Fred alive. Well, that's fantastic. Uh,
0: well, so are you still out there searching for old photos? I know you told me yeah. stories of rummaging through oh, know, the antique shops.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I told you a story about time I came home with a, with a huge suitcase full of yes,
0: photos. Yes, uh, no,
2: yes. And my wife looked at me, she says, okay, you're obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, All
0: of our spouses uh, say that at some point, don't you think? Well,
2: I've got like 15,000 photographs myself, wow. my own, and you know, I've collected over the years. and I, I still collect photos. You know, and what I'm getting now is I'm getting photos... In the mail, I mean, every week, get albums that somebody's found or photos wow. that somebody's passed away and there's the photos that they didn't know who they were and really didn't have time to mess with them. So they sound to us and uh, we, you know, I go ahead and I scan them in. That's more of my weekend chores. Mm -hmm. Uh, scan those onto the uh, website it works
0: it works well it it, it does for those of you listening they've got over 18,000 surnames on this website over 109,000 records and as joe said Over 2,000 people have been reunited with photographs. It is possible, and a place to go to do it is deadfred.com. Joe, it's always so much fun to talk to you, and um, we just love what you do for the genealogy community.
2: Well, thank you very much. I do appreciate that, and I I appreciate you calling me and asking me to talk about that, Fred. You can get yourself stuck for a while if you do that, you know. You're going to have to shut me up, (laughs) but I'll keep on talking.
0: Well, we love it. But, Thank you. You come back again on the show, okay?
2: Uh, I will be happy to, and all I right. hope to see all you folks that are listening. If I can say this, please, yeah. that stopped in and and see us, and, and if you're on Facebook, join Dead Fred's Facebook page. Like uh, Dead
0: Fred, right?
2: Dead Fred's Genealogy Photo Archive. Yes, like it.
0: Like it. We'll put it on the show notes. Thanks so much.
2: Good. Jimo. Thanks.
0: Family Tree University's Power Courses are designed to give you an intense dose of learning on one topic. In the time it takes to watch a movie, you'll give your research skills a huge boost and come away with some new tools and techniques that you can really use immediately to find more ancestors. In this Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited Tyler Moss, he's the online editor at Family Tree Magazine, back to the show to tell us more about the Picture Your Family History Power Course. He's going to give us some tips that we can use right away. Welcome back, Tyler.
3: Thank you for having me. Good to be here.
0: Tyler, in this course, again, it's called the Picture Your Family History Power Course. I know students learn all about, you know, how to analyze, preserve, and and care for their family photographs. Can you give us an example of how, I guess we could start off, I assume we need to get some of these scanned. Any scanning tips for us?
3: Well, I mean, like you said, scanning is such a huge part of preserving and working on these photos. In order to get them fixed up, you kind of have to put them on the computer first. You know, we talk a lot in these different courses about different programs you can use on the computer, whether that's something like Photoshop or something online, to correct, you know, different, like fading or, or different problems like that. So some of the different scanning tips I, I have today are pretty simple. It's just make sure your photo is completely dusted and, and cleaned off before you put that on your um, scanner there. Make sure that your photos are arranged in, in order before you go and, and labeled as you go in. So that way, when you are working on them within the computer, you know how they came in and uh, what they are exactly.
0: So you don't lose that context of the order of the photographs.
3: Uh, Exactly. Make sure you're scanning at a resolution that's sufficient for end use. So that means um, make sure you're scanning at a high enough resolution that the photo is clear when you're editing it on the computer. And um, another tip I have is just make sure you're scanning in color, even if the image is black and white, just because it kind of helps pick up all the variations of color a little bit more. So that way the darks aren't as dark and the lights aren't as light and you have a little bit more variation there to work with.
0: That's a great tip. We look at a black and white photograph and, you, and then you see black and white as one of the options on your scanner software and you think, oh, okay, I'll click that. But you're right, it's really not true black and white and we wouldn't want it to be. So it's that color scanning that really pays off. And you know, going back to your very first tip, I find this myself, you kind of get busy and you're opening and closing the scanner lid or whatever method you're using and you forget that the glass itself can get a little bit of dust and whatever's on that photo and on that glass is what's going to be in your image. So being just careful to have that soft, clean cloth that you can wipe it down and keep it nice, you have a lot less to restore, don't you?
3: That's right. And you don't want to realize that later on after you already have all the photos scanned and put away that half your photos have dust marks on them.
0: Exactly. And really restoration, I know, is a big part of this class. And it wasn't that long ago. You had to go to a professional. You had to pay a bunch of money and, and to get, you know, a, an old worn out. Sometimes even I've even had photographs with tears and pieces missing that I could actually go back and fill it back in and fix it. And that's what you teach, right? This This is really something that anybody could do.
3: That's right. These are supposed to be, you know, at-home tips for just about anyone, uh, whether your photo is worn, torn, or faded. We talk about free online photo editing tools you can use. We talk about, like I said, programs such as Photoshop. Um, We talk about even how to digitally remove mold from images or how to work with damaged to facial features. I mean, it really covers the gamut.
0: Yeah. And and there are, I assume that uh, we don't have to spend, you know, $500 on a photo editing program. What would be an example of a, of a low-cost program we might be able to work with?
3: There's all sorts of ones out there. A few of the ones that we talk about in this course are Pixlr, which is a good online photo editing program. That's P-I-X-L-R. So that's one of the ones we discuss and, and how to do different things in there. But there's all sorts of ones. There's one called PicMonkey that you can do kind of a lot of the same basic stuff that a program like Photoshop can do just online. And there's a number of other ones, too, that we go more in-depth with.
0: Well, Fantastic. So we'll have lots of options. You can find one that works for you. It's actually kind of addictive, I think. (laughs) Fixing up photographs, you get really into the details. And it's it's so fun to see it come back to its original glory. If you want to learn how to restore and uh, preserve the photographs that are in your collection, those things are so precious to us. Family Tree Magazine's Power Course, it's called Picture Your Family History, is really, I think, a great one to take. And I know that uh, it's coming up soon. We're going to have links in the show notes so that you can click through and find out what the best deals are and get involved in a class coming up here very shortly. Tyler, thanks so much. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Thank you again for having me.
0: As we wrap up this February 2013 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Happy February. You too. And it's Black History Month. And I understand that you have a new class coming up on African American genealogy. Tell us about that.
4: Well, absolutely. There's actually a ton of stuff going on the Family Tree University virtual quote-unquote campus right now, and Black History Month is just one of them. We are introducing a class on getting started in African-American genealogy, specifically because it's Black History Month and so many people uh, are really looking into their roots, and so we felt this was an ideal time to launch that and it's going to be part of our first step series of courses. So um, they're really beginner oriented. They only last two weeks. So um, it's not a huge time commitment. And it'll really get you started on the first steps of getting involved in that kind of research.
0: And those are great because the, the regular classes usually run about four weeks. But having kind of a, a two-week Kickstarter class, I think, is a great way to go to really get you going.
4: Definitely. The schedule makes it nice and compact and easy to fit into schedules. And it's not so involved that, um, you know, you really have to set aside a huge chunk of time for it. So I I think that's nice for everyone who has a really busy schedule.
0: And I saw also on the schedule, you're going to have finding female ancestors. That's one that really caught my eye. Tell us about that.
4: Absolutely. How many people have a female ancestor who's a brick wall. I have yet to meet a genealogist who doesn't (laughs) have one. Um, Obviously, female ancestors have some unique challenges in terms of tracing them just because of, you know, changing their surnames when they get married and um, not appearing in records in the same way that men do. And so we are delighted to be launching a class on um, this very subject that I'm sure so many people are struggling with here at Family Tree University. So it promises to be a good one.
0: I'm, I'm looking forward to it because there's, uh, I was talking with Gina Philibert Ortega, and um, she was giving so many ideas on different kinds of, of records, if you will, that we need to think about in terms of female ancestors that we don't really think about in terms of, of their male counterparts and um, things like uh, even just a recipe card, you know, something that's written in their hand, that's talking about perhaps a recipe used in a family tradition. So many little um, nuggets in there to find, uh, to tell us more about their lives and who they were. It's pretty exciting.
4: It is very exciting and one of the things for me personally that I love about doing that kind of research is the social history angle yeah you know there there's some times where you might not be able to find your female ancestor specifically named in a record right. but there are so many sources that you can turn to that will give you insight into what her experience was whether it names her or not you can really learn some interesting things about her life and i, I think that's really compelling
0: Mm-hmm. absolutely And then, of course, just about every genealogist uses Ancestry, and you're putting together a new class on Ancestry, is that right?
4: Yes, that one is um, also new at Family Tree University, and like you said, everybody uses Ancestry.com, but there's so much to dig into there that we felt like it would be a great learning opportunity to kind of help people become more of a power user and understand everything that's there and really how to take advantage of it so you're not spinning your wheels. You know, an ancestry.com subscription is fairly expensive, and so to make sure that you really get your money's worth, uh, that's what this class is designed for.
0: Oh, perfect. Now, is this the full four-week length class?
4: Yes. Both the Ancestry.com class and the Female Ancestors are four-week classes. Now, the nice thing about the four-week classes is, although they're a little more intensive than the Getting Started classes um, in terms of the length and the material, um, it's still a situation where you don't have to show up at a specific time Mm -hmm. um, and participate in lectures or anything like that. It's... Up to you to log in whenever it's convenient to you and you can kind of work within at your own pace within that four week time period of the session that you sign Which
0: up is a for. real advantage.
4: Definitely <laughs> so if you've really got the most time in the first two weeks of the course you can step up your pace and do more of the work during that time um, and vice versa you know that would be true or you can spread it out. We usually suggest for pacing that you do about a lesson a week if you've got the time but you can definitely work ahead or um, catch up later if your schedule doesn't permit
0: Right. It's flexible, and yet you're going to get a really great in-depth look at the topic of interest. And, you know, another flexible kind of um, instruction that you provide is are the virtual conferences and I'm excited because the winter virtual conference is coming up. It's
4: coming up very soon. There's still time to participate so if um, you would like to be able to participate in a genealogy conference but maybe don't have the time or the budget or the ability to travel to an in-person conference this is exactly what we have designed the virtual conferences for. Ours is going to be taking place on February 22nd through 24th and it's Um, just like an in-person conference in that there's a wide variety of classes that you can attend, only they don't happen in real life. (laughs) They happen virtually. (laughs) And so um, what's great about that is not only can you log on and participate from anywhere... Um, you know, you and I can participate. You can participate from California while I'm participating from Ohio. And we can both stay home <laughs> and do it in our jeans. Right, it was right. awesome. Um, but the other great thing is we pre-record the classes so that you never have to choose between, oh, both of these sessions look great. Which one am I going to go to? You can decide which classes you want to watch when so you don't have to miss anything. And you get to download them. Um, to save for reference or rewatch after the conference has concluded so it's kind of always on. You you have the opportunity to go back and pick up those nuggets that you might have missed the first time Um, or go back and catch those URLs that you didn't manage to type in while you were watching the class. You can kind of fully absorb things and go back and check again later.
0: And use it when you need it, which I love. And, and I love the fact that we do, um, I'm going to be doing one of the classes. I know you've got lots of instructors putting together some great content. I was thrilled that we're going to be recording these as videos, as as you said, because uh, I'm going to be in London that weekend teaching at the Who Do You Think You Are live conference. So it's so awesome to be in two places at one time. If you could just replicate me, that'd be wonderful. I would get so much more yeah. done. Well, that you
4: make a good point, Lisa, you know, the fact that we do record these classes, um, does make it possible for us to put together a really dynamic lineup of topics and speakers yeah. where we don't have to worry about conflicts with other, um, events that may be happening in the genealogy world.
0: Yep. You can, you have so much fun. There's going to be live chats and things going on throughout that weekend. And yet you've got all that wonderful content to refer back to you and help you all year long okay great well you've got a lot of tools here and we're going to have listings of all of them in the show notes for you with links so that you can go check them out and um you're gonna keep us busy all right we're looking forward to talking to you next month all right thanks lisa Thanks so much for joining me for this February 2013 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out Maureen Taylor's photo detective blog. You'll find it at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash photodetectiveblog. And of course, her book. The Family Photo Detective. It's available at shopfamilytree.com. And then head on over to deadfred.com. You can start searching through all those old photographs. You never know who you might find. To find the show notes for this episode, which will include links to the Dead Fred website and the Picture Your Family History Power Course, and of course everything else we've talked about on today's episode, head on over to familytremagazine.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems Podcast and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both of those are also available for free through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.